Greetings and salutations, my fellow Americans. It is me, Daniel D., with the A Ghost in the Machine podcast. It is Monday, September 5th, 2022. If you're in the United States of America, uh, it is Labor Day. So happy Labor Day to you, or I should say organized Labor Day or Labor Movement Day. Because, you know, it wasn't just people working and the government's like, hey, we should just uh, have a holiday for people working. It was people coming together. You know, workers uniting against the boss man saying, hey, Mr. Boss Man, you're going to pay us like more money, right? You're going to give us time and a half if you have us working, you know, all day, every day, you know, for our overtime. You're going to, you know, whatever. You're going to pay us workers compensation if we're hurt on the job. Things like that, you know? And so it's like, it's a good thing. Plus, if it wasn't for the labor movement, we wouldn't have Jimmy Hoffa. We wouldn't have the Teamsters Union. Meaning we wouldn't have all those great mafia movies like Casino and uh, The Irishman. I think that's the name of Martin Scorsese's latest movie, right? All these great Martin Scorsese movies about the mafia and it's like somehow the Teamsters Union was involved in it, you know, because anyway, they used their pension fund money to like give these great loans to the mafia to build up Las Vegas, right? I mean, it was a very important part of American history, so we wouldn't have that either. If not for labor movement. So anyway, celebrate Labor Day. Watch Casino or, you know, Irishman by Martin Scorsese. You know, see what the labor movement did for America and for cinema. All right. Today, I'm going to read a uh, article I wrote on my blog at Substack, A Ghost in the Machine, called Religious Blasphemy Laws East and West. How Cancel Culture Creates a Bond Between the Woke West and the Sharia Law-Abiding East. Religious blasphemy laws are fashionable again in the West, at least when it's a fashionable regime-approved religion like wokeism enforcing the blasphemy laws. You won't find Christian fundamentalists doing it because Christianity has not been stylish among the West's cultural elite for several generations. Right? So anyway, there's a new religion, a new state-sponsored religion called wokeism. It, it's like Christianity 2.0, but you know we get rid of the stuff like about God and forgiveness and salvation and things like that, and we just deal with sin and punishment because that's like the really great parts about religion, right? It's like knowing that you've offended, you know, the the religious creed, and that you know you're you're a sinner and that you're under the condemnation. Like, that's a part of Christianity that wokeism kept. They just kind of got rid of all the good stuff. But, you know, the state is like, hey, this is a religion that tells people that they're sinful and they need, you know, indulgences and whatnot, right? Like, this seems like it could be useful to us. So the state has decided to sponsor wokeism, basically. You know, if you work um, in or with or for a government agency, chances are you've seen their DEI statements. It's all over, like, uh, the, you know educational institutions, you know, so forth, right? The tenets of wokeism, critical race theory, transgenderism, DEI, you know, whatever, right? And there's a, the first commandment of wokeism is thou shalt not blaspheme against the gods of wokeism or, you know, against the whatever, the sacred beliefs of wokeism, right? Like saying something like, people who are born female but transition to male are not the same as people who are born male. Right? Saying that 
is blasphemous. You know, you won't get stoned to death yet, but you will get canceled, you know, fired from your job, all that kind of stuff. Made unemployable, you know, banished from the public square, you know, virtual public square online. So on and so forth, right? Wasn't always that way though. It used to be maybe it was more like your traditional religious people that practiced, you know, or enforced blasphemy laws in the West. Now maybe we didn't, you know, at least in the United States where you have the First Amendment, we haven't always had de jure blasphemy laws, right? Under the law, where it's punishable by like police action against you, you know, if you violate some religious norm. Um, that's more of a thing. That you find in the uh, more more of a thing that you'd find with it being de facto, right? Where it's like you have the the cultural norms are based on these religious ideas, and if you violate them, you get censored, fired, you know, shunned from society, that kind of thing. Uh, so maybe they used to do that back in the day, back in the you know fifties. If you would have said something critical of Christianity, maybe you would get fired, maybe you would be unemployable, maybe you would, you know, be the victim of a de facto kind of blasphemy law, you know, but anyway, by the time I'm going to talk about 1987, I got a cat making a ton of noise in here, um, by 1987, you know, Christianity had pretty much gone out of style among the cultural elite, but it was still, you know, a thing for like ordinary people in flyover country, right, so you had in 1987, Andres Serrano's uh, grifter piece endearingly entitled Piss Christ. And this was this modern art masterpiece. Piss Christ was a photograph of a crucifix in a jar that the artist had pissed in. So basically he like he put a, a crucifix in a jar, pissed in the jar, and then took a picture of it. And it's like, yeah, man, this is a statement. This is an artistic statement. Sorry, uh, let me get this cat out of here because he's making a ton of noise. All right, now the cat is gone. Um, hopefully, if you heard some, you know, commotion in the background, I'm going to blame it on the cat. Um, all right, so back to what I was saying. Andres Serrano, his 1987 grifter piece called Piss Christ, right? Regular rubes in the flyover country would look at this and say, like, what the hell? Like, this is offensive. Not only were they offended, you know, based on religious sensibilities, but it was, like, offended their artistic sensibilities, too. Because they're like, what is it? This isn't art. Like, my three-year-old could do this, right? Like, that's usually what you hear when people talk about modern art. It's like, ah, it looks like some shit some three-year-old did. You know, while I was throwing a temper tantrum, just, you know, went crazy with the crayons or the paint or whatever, right? So, um... Because the the regular people didn't like it, the intelligentsia, the cultural elite were like, ah, oh, yes, you guys just lack the sophistication to see how stunning and brave this piece is, or whatever terms they use, because it's stunning and brave. When, it, when something lacks real content, creativity, merit, it's not really communicating anything meaningful, it's like, just call it stunning and brave. It just stuns with its bravery. It's so brave how stunning it is, and, you know, it's avant-garde. It's another term. Um, basically it's like the emperor's new clothes type of thing, right? Like, you know, you aren't sophisticated enough to see how fine the fabric is that the emperor is wearing, how, how silky smooth and almost lighter than air the, the threads are. And you can't see it because you lack the sophistication, but the emperor's clothes are so excellent, you know, 
and regular people are like, well, I don't see anything. What, what, what is there to see here? It looks like, a, you know, the emperor's not wearing anything to me. Right. So people had that reaction to this piss Christ. And then on top of that, we're like, and then the guy's like, you know, doing this about this religious symbol that's meaningful to a lot of people or considered sacred. Right. So it's like people were upset about it. But then people really got upset because they learned that the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, a government agency, had spent taxpayer money on, you know, subsidizing or whatever. Uh, sponsoring this artist, this particular artist. So they gave him a few thousand dollars to do this piss Christ, you know, put a crucifix in a jar and piss on it and take a picture of the jar with piss and a crucifix. It's like, yeah. So that's several thousand dollars right there that the dude got paid. Government taxpayer funded money, you know, a grant. Right? So people were upset about that. So back in the day, you didn't have social media. What you had was letters to the editor. That's how these controversies would play out. People would write in, you know, dear sir, I can't believe, blah, blah, blah. Or they would call their congressman. So people did that. They called their congressman. They wrote letters to the editor. And the NEA had its funding reduced temporarily because its budget just kept growing over time. And now I'm sure it's much larger than it was back then. But they had their budget reduced a little bit. That's as far as the blasphemy laws were enforced in this case, the picture itself was never censored. You know, it was never taken off display at the museum. The NEA never rescinded its grant. It just, you know, the government agency that did this, people were like enough, you know, this is what our money is going towards. This thing doesn't even need to exist. Right. So that was 1987. Now, since then, things have kind of gone flip-flopped in the United States, right? The regular people are like, hey, we should we should allow people to speak freely, free artistic expression. You know, it's important to have this open marketplace of ideas to be able to discuss, you know, ideas and perspectives and views that aren't necessarily shared by the mainstream that, you know, that's regular people. So, of course, the elites, because the elites care about being cool more than anything. And, you, and being cool means you got to be different than the people who aren't cool. Like, coolness trendiness fashion all that sort of stuff it implies this distinction there's the people who are hip to the latest fashion or i'm probably i'm not cool i've never been cool so i'm using i'm sure uncool terms to refer to coolness right because lingo changes over time right so it's like cool may not even be a cool term to use to describe it may i don't know what it is now but whatever the 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 whatever the synonym that kids use today to describe their classmates who are cool, the cool kids, like that's what I'm talking about. And that's like on a, a social level, on a, a more national or even global level, like you have the same kind of thing going on. The same thing that any junior high across the country where you have the cool kids and what makes them cool, it's hard to really say if, the, if anything really meaningful. But you have the same thing with the, you know, cultural elite in our country and the West in general, right? They're, they're cool, trendy, right? How do they maintain their coolness, their hipness, their, you know, their stylishness, right? By constantly changing the fashion that they all agree among themselves are like, this is it, right? So nowadays it may be called the current thing. The current thing is like a trendy ideology and it changes constantly. Why? Because you can't have it, the current thing stay current for too long because then regular people who aren't cool start to, you know, endorse it. 
And then once every random Joe across the country is saying the current thing and agreeing with the current thing, it's no longer cool. It no longer confers any cool points, right? So the elites have to do the opposite. So I say all that to come back to the regular people said, all right, we're past trying to censor things because they offend our, you know, religious morality or whatever, right? So it's like, yeah, let people speak freely. Let people, let's have more tolerance and a live and let live kind of attitude towards, you know, different people's views and forms of expression, right? So the elites are like, what? That means that that's not cool anymore. If the regular people like it, we can't like it because we can't like what they like. We got to like something different. So let's do the opposite. Let's start endorsing censorship again and, and, and opposing free speech and free artistic expression. So the, the elites, you know, stay cool. That's what they did. And maybe they call it, you know, uh, political correctness or cancel culture or, you know, hate speech or whatever. But, you know, it's basically the same type of thing. So, meanwhile, that's that's what's happened in the West. Meanwhile, the East, they've just kept their blasphemy laws going. Like, they never changed. You know, when they saw the West experimenting with the Enlightenment and these values of free speech and uh, open marketplace of ideas... The, the people in the East, the Muslims, they're like, yeah, whatever. Let them do their thing. You know, s- fashions come and go. We'll just stay here. And eventually what we're doing will be fashionable again. And they were right. They were right. In the same way that things like go in cycles and like, you know, bell-bottom pants may go out of style and they come back in style or whatever, right? Acid wash jeans. Like maybe they haven't come back in style yet. But they probably will. You know, there's a lot of 80s nostalgia nowadays, right? Like the, these fashions go in cycles, right? So the Muslims were like, hey, you know, yeah, it's not trendy today to, you know, <laughs> censor people and, and enforce blasphemy laws, but just give it time. And then, sure enough, that's what happened. So now in the West, it's come back in, in style. The East, it still is in style. So now blasphemy laws, that's cool. That's the current, one of the current things is like hate speech, right? And of course, here you have like de jure and de facto, you know, um, there's less of the blasphemy laws that are de jure yet. You know, now in some places like Canada, and this was, was the controversy that launched Jordan Peterson to infamy was his stance on this. The, the I think it was a law basically criminalizing, um, misgendering somebody. And he's like, hey, you know, I'll if if it makes somebody feel better, I'll call them by whatever their gender, you know, their pronoun is they want. But don't tell me I have to do it. Like that's just me being nice, I, you know. And that was a big problem. Oh, we can't have people just being nice. You you have to actually agree that their trans women are women. You can't just be saying it. You have to really think it. You know, it's not enough to just say the correct thing. You have to think the correct thing. So um, anyway. That's how now in the, oh, what I was saying though, that is changing in the U.S. because we have the First Amendment, but they've started their end run around that. Like the first place they went was the military because it's a controlled, you know, they can do a controlled experiment. It's more top down, authoritarian, right? Freedom of speech. It was already a little less robust in the military than it would be in a civilian setting, right? So now under the UCMJ, you can get brought up on charges under the UCMJ for misgendering somebody, at least in the Navy. So I'm sure that's going to be coming to the other branches of the service. You just give it time, you know. I don't know how well that bodes for the future of the American Empire when uh, 
you know, you have China and Russia are like, we are going to make our country stronger militarily, economically. We will crush the West. We will achieve world domination. And then in the United States, we're like, uh, we're just going to worry about pronouns and safe spaces, man. You know, you guys can have your hypersonic missiles and all that. We're going to like worry about making people feel included. Right? I don't know how that's going to wind up for us. But anyway. Uh, but it is now criminalized in the Navy to misgender somebody. And of course, there's the de facto, which is like, you know, maybe it's not against the law, but they'll, the, the cancel culture warriors will come after you if you blaspheme against the holy creed of wokeism. They'll come after you. They'll get you fired from your job, made unemployable, get banished from the, you know, virtual town square online, right? Why? Because we can't have people debating and discussing ideas freely. We got to save democracy, man. Because, you know, too much freedom is dangerous for, like, uh, representative democracy like ours. We can't have people talking freely. We need more content moderation, not less, in order to save democracy. Actual things that people on the left would say. We need more censorship, less freedom of speech in order to save uh, freedom and... Uh, well, freedom is only good if it's used the way I like it to be used. And if it's used differently, then we need to end it, you know. Anyway. So, that's how you have now. If you're a teacher in an elite private school in the UK, for example, and you're teaching your class about Islamophobia, and you decide, uh, you know, to show as an example of dangerous anti-Muslim, you know, stuff, uh, stuff that's hateful or offensive to Muslims, a cartoon that somebody drew of the prophet muhammad and it's like oh well it doesn't matter if that's like the very thing you know what your intent was you showed the blasphemous thing you deserve to die you know or at least lose your job so anyway and it, I, I don't know if this uh teacher changed their mind about any of this after it, it probably not probably doubled down probably didn't connect any of the dots there but yeah so the the teacher who showed I don't know if it's a him or a her. Uh, it's a him. All right. Teacher at a school in England showed a cartoon image of the prophet Muhammad in class and now fears for his and his family's lives. Now, this is a story from a few years ago, from a year ago. So it was actually in March 2021. Uh, this was written. But, you know, it's still pretty much the thing. Like, if you draw a picture of the uh, our cartoon of the prophet Muhammad and put it out there, you know, the cancel culture mob will come after you and they will support the Muslims who call for, you know, violence against you. You know, well, you should just know better. You know, causing this kind of speech is violence, right? So you cause this pain to these people. You deserve whatever they do to you. You know, we're not going to stand up for free speech and free expression. So anyway, the school, of course, uh, either suspended or fired the teacher. Um, this guy had to go into hiding, you know. Um, why? Because he showed them this cartoon. The cartoon by itself. In the context of trying to show them, like, this is an example of anti-Muslim, you know, hateful or offensive, you know, speech. And he gave an example. Anyway. I don't know. Now, here's another side note. I don't know how people know that it is a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. Like, because nobody knows what Muhammad looks like, right? Like, nobody could draw a picture of him. And so there are no pictures of him. So nobody knows what he looks like. 
So how do they know it's a cartoon of Muhammad and not like some guy at Bed Bath & Beyond just trying on different sheets and towels, you know? Like it could be. The guy could be at Bed Bath & Beyond. He's like looking at this guy. He's like, hey, he looks pretty happy. He's putting all, he's wrapping himself up in all these towels and sheets. Well, I'll draw a cartoon of him. He's like, that looks like the Prophet Muhammad. You deserve to be blown up, you know? Because, you know, Islam, it's a, most, it's a fiery but mostly peaceful religion. Um... Kind of like wokeism, actually. Um, so yeah, so so that guy had to go into hiding for drawing a, a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. Same thing in the United States, though. If you say, for example, utter the dreaded word known as the N word, and I'm not going to say it because <laughs> for the same reason I wouldn't draw a uh, cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. Because uh, I don't want to get blown up. Um, but yeah, you know, you if, if you just enunciate the N-word, right? Like you're not even calling somebody this in, you know, like as an insult. Like maybe that's one thing, they, you know. And there, I, you know, I would say probably I would like to see if you're going to be outraged by that, people be outraged by other, you know, racial slurs and epithets. Because some of the same people that get up in arms about the N-word being used are the same people who will use a lot of racial slurs to refer to everybody else that they don't like, you know. Um, but whatever, right? So if you, so like the, a teacher who in the context of teaching a lesson about historical racism quotes primary source documents and reads aloud the term, you get fired. Why? Because, oh my God, you uttered the word. Now, of course, one of the things that's weird with this word is if you're at, you know, let's say you're at a rap concert and somebody's rapping, but they're black or Hispanic or Indian <laughs> or any number of other things, and you say it, it's like it's cool. But if you're non-black and not, you know, if you're lighter than a brown paper bag and you lip sync along with the person on stage saying it, then you can get in trouble. Um Whatever. Uh, there's a football coach at University of Oklahoma, assistant, who had been there for over 20 years, 25 years, I think. And um, this happened recently. Uh, he was, they were at a practice, watching game film, and he noticed one of the players was distracted. So he grabbed the guy's iPad and said, you know, basically like, uh, oh, so... You would rather read what's so interesting that you can't watch the game film with the rest of us. Let's see what you're looking at. It's so important that you don't have time to pay attention in practice. So he's reading what the guy was reading on his iPad out loud for everybody to hear. And he read the offending term, I guess ending with uh instead of the R, that version of it. Uh, oh my God, but the coach is the wrong color. So even though this player had it on his iPad, was reading it, and was exchanging messages with other people uh, using the term, that's fine. But the coach, reading it aloud in context, oh my God, he needs to go. Now, players from the past who knew the guy, including a lot of black players, are like, this guy's not racist. There's nothing racist about him. You know, <laughs> doesn't matter. doesn't matter what your intent is. doesn't matter what your, the context is. doesn't matter what your state of mind is. doesn't matter what the effect is. We need to just, you blasphemed against this, you know, religious norm. You need to shut it down. You need to get 
fired and made unemployable. You should not have a right to earn a living and to feed your children if you would read aloud a term like that. Now, of course, the person who had it on their iPad, well, that's a different story. That's fine. I don't know. At least with Islam, the the blasphemy laws are kind of evenly enforced, right? Like, if you do a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, draw a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad, it doesn't matter what you... Nobody does that, right? But here in the United States, it's like, well, some people can speak freely, right? But not others. I don't know. Everybody's equal. Some people are more equal than others. Of course, it's white people that are fragile, as we've learned from Robin D'Angelo. You know, uh, you can say anything you want about white people now. Like if you go to a comedy show or a, uh, you know, you just tune turn on, you know your latest uh, shows on your streaming service, you know, you'll find stuff that it's okay to mock and ridicule white people. But if you mock or ridicule any other group, unless you're black. Now, if you're black, you can mock and ridicule anybody. And we've been through this with the, I wrote a post on this on victimology poker, where it all depends on where you fall in the, you know, the hierarchy of victimhood who you get to talk about. But anyway, white people are being fragile. Everybody can talk about them, but black people are not fragile. And so nobody can talk about them. Um, that's how we achieve. That's how we get past race and just get past, you know, racial grievance and racial animosity and people come together, you know, is by assigning rights and duties and responsibilities based on race. Classifying people like the most important thing I can know about you is what race you are. Once I had that figured out, and once I know, you know, what your gender ideology is, you know, how you identify, then everything else is like secondary from there, right? That's the way to move forward. Anyway, here's a fun exercise, though, that I propose. The next time a leftist tells you about someone saying the N-word, play dumb and ask, what N-word? You know, maybe if you act sincere enough, like pretend that your English is your second language, right? Like act like, let me start talking with a Russian accent or oh, I'm sorry, Russia's the enemy now, a Ukrainian accent. You could be a Nazi in Ukraine, in fact, and be one of the good guys now, you know, according to the left, stand with Ukraine, right? Arm the Azov battalion, you know, they're literal Nazis, but hey, you know, they're, uh, it's the current thing, man. So stand with Ukraine, support Nazis. Um, yeah, so anyway, you can act like you're Ukrainian, you know, and speak with a Ukrainian accent, which I'm, I don't know if my accent sounds at all like Ukrainian, but you know, something like this, where you say like, oh, what is this N-word that you're saying? And nice, and yet, I don't know. It says, what is the N-word that you mean that causes all these problems? I want to make sure I do not say it, right? You can be like, please tell me what this word is. Like, I don't want to say it. And if you, it, I can't know that I won't say it if I don't know what the word is. What is this N-word, right? Play dumb. Play like you're from a foreign country. Maybe the leftists will like, you know, try to hint at it. And eventually maybe they'll just get frustrated with you and say it. All right. Just don't say it. And then they'll say it. And then you'll be like, ah, I got you, fool. Now I'm going to expose you to the world. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a stupid thing, of course. There's all the whole thing. An exchange like that would probably go kind of like if you've seen Monty Python and the Life of Brian, the, the scene where there's... Uh, uh, somebody who's said Jehovah and so he's being stoned to death for being a blasphemer and then there's all this commotion because you can't say what the guy did without committing blasphemy yourself and so yeah hilarity ensues 
actually on the um, article that I wrote about this, I put a uh, I embedded that video, a clip from YouTube of uh, the life of Brian, the stoning scene. So anyway, just know dub shot of this is blasphemy laws are back. Thou shalt not blaspheme against the holy uh, gods of wokeism. Well, there aren't really any gods. It's just uh, you know offense. Who gets offended? Some, you know, somehow, uh, some, you know, some on a spiritual transcendental level, there's this offense that's just out there. You just say, utter the word. Like even if you're in a forest and nobody's around to hear and somebody like plays a tape pl player or a radio boombox or whatever, and it's a non-black person using the N-word, however ironically or whether in context, whether reading Mark Twain and, and they just read Huckleberry Finn, which was an anti-racist novel back in the day, but whatever. It has that forbidden word. And we judge people not by their own con historical context, but by our understanding of what's right and wrong in 2022. And so, uh, let me just say that. If somebody doesn't say, you know, because there's nobody around to hear it. If somebody plays a recording on a speaker in the woods, from Huck Finn, and the N-word is said, in context, would a hate crime have been committed? Even if nobody's around to hear it. And I think you would have, like, wokeists out there that would say you shouldn't do that. Not even because somebody might hear it, but because it's just the word itself is blasphemous. I don't know. Anyway, let me know what you think in the comments. Uh, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast. It's available in your favorite podcasting app. Assuming you like one of the use one of the good podcasting apps. If you're using a podcasting app or platform and it doesn't have this podcast, it's obviously a shitty podcasting app and a bad podcasting platform, and you should not use it. But anyway, um, yeah, subscribe to the podcast there. Check me out at Substack at a a ghost in the machine link will be in the show notes subscribe there so you can get you know delivered to your email inbox every time i write or podcast something and uh until next time folks y'all be good my name is daniel d this is a ghost in the machine podcast uh reading the article about religious blasphemy laws east and west and how cancel culture creates a bond between the woke west and the sharia law abiding east peace out